0: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Micah and team. Our kids can head back to be with our teachers back here in the right corner. New drill for them today as they head back to Transformation Station. So if you're, if you're a parent and you didn't catch our children's check-in when you came in the lobby, feel free to uh, connect with them now and they'll get you squared away uh, as they uh, have a great time downstairs in the club. Our old home as a church uh, for worship and now Here we are, our first Sunday in uh, the theater, and so thankful that God has provided this new home for our church. It's really amazing when we think about what God has done in such a short period of time. Four years we've existed as a church, seeking to glorify God by living out His mission as a community that's being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, what Christ wants to do in our lives, And, and to think that He would place us here at such a historic spot in our city is really, really humbling, really amazing. Uh, so, so thankful for, for what he's done. So thankful for a great uh, staff team and leadership team that goes way beyond our staff, that helps coordinate and make this happen. Uh, So I hope that uh, we can all together collectively kind of be in awe of of God and and what he's doing in our own lives, but also in the life of our church, right? I mean, this was, as I've said, uh, this was kind of on the 10 to 20-year plan, not the 4 to 5-year plan, uh, but here we are and God is good, and so we're going to enjoy worshiping together here in the Chevalier. Well, um, today is not only the, the first Sunday in our new home, it's also the first Sunday in a new series we're calling Big City, Big Questions, and our goal here is to ask some of the, we can't ask all of the questions we'd like to ask, but we can ask some of the, the most pertinent questions that I think we're all wrestling with in life, okay? Some of the questions maybe that, that are general to, to all people, no matter where they are or where they're from, uh, but also some questions that are really pertinent to, to Christianity and, 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 and is this really plausible? Should I really jump in with both feet when it comes to the message of Jesus, And so uh, over the next five weeks, we're going to take five questions. Next week, we're going to look at why is life riddled with so much suffering and brokenness? You ever ask this question? Two weeks from now, we'll ask, what would Jesus say about social justice issues of our day? On October 4th, we're, we're going to ask, is Jesus a generous liberator? or Is he a restrictive oppressor? And then finally, we'll end up with a really a foundational uh, look at, is the Bible really the word of God? And why should I care? So, those are the questions that are upcoming. But today, we're going to start small, okay? We're going to kind of sh- jump into the shallow end of the pool, and we're going to ask the questions What is the point of life? Why are we here? Will my life count? We all have air in our lungs this morning, we're all breathing. Our hearts are thumping with a beautiful cadence. There are trillions of synapses. I looked this up, by the way. There are trillions of synapses in our brains that are firing. And yet, why? Why do we exist? What is our reason for being? Why should we be motivated to to wake up in the morning and and to get about our day? Because if we're being honest, okay, even for those of us who are in Christ, there are many days that kind of feel aimless, just kind of feel kind of like we're kind of wandering through life, that, that life doesn't seem to have much of a point. And I, and I don't think this this morning, okay, I, I don't think, no matter, no matter what, you, what your background may be, I don't think that we kind of wake up and we all just kind of, you know, dream together, hey, I hope my, my life is meaningless today. No, no, no one's doing that, right? If you are, please, like, reach out because we want to like, help there. Right? No, 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 one's, no one's waking up with, with that kind of sentiment, and yet, sometimes we're just, We're just wondering, why are we here? What are we after? The point of life can seem so elusive. There's an endless cycle of of eating and and drinking, of, of, of sleeping and striving, of checking our social media notifications, right? We scroll down, scroll down. Oh, that's that's nice. Like that, heart that, share that, retweet that. You know, scroll down, scroll, and then just why we just kind of go through the motions of life. It often feels so so hollow. Relationships don't go as planned. Work and school it feels like there's no fulfillment there. And it can even feel sometimes that beyond just a few points of self-interest, that 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 there's really not a lot to live for on a day-in, day day-out day day basis. And so what I believe we need is, is this. Okay? We need a grand vision of life that will motivate us not only to wake up in the morning, but also to punch the time clock, to also celebrate life's joys and face life's challenges, and to relate to people in profound ways. And so to gain this kind of perspective, what we're going to do is we're going to turn back the clock, we're going to rewind, and we're going to go to this Old Testament book known as Ecclesiastes. Now, I believe Ecclesiastes has the power to speak to us as 21st century Americans in, in ways that most books of the Bible maybe uh, cannot. Okay, now, and all of, all of Scripture is inspired by God, we believe. We'll talk about that in, in four weeks. Okay? And it's all important, but, but this book in particular holds extreme relevance for our daily lives. What, what we have is a colossal experiment from a king who sets out to find the meaning of life. He's searching for purpose and fulfillment and satisfaction, and he searches as extensively as he possibly can. What we are going to find is that his journey is, is not much different Than our journey. Though this book can seem hopelessly pessimistic, as I uh, unveiled the thesis statement of the book, it can seem hopelessly pessimistic, and at the same time, it offers blunt realism and a lot of wisdom for us to take in this morning. It asks and answers the question what is the point of life? And so what I want to do is this. We're going to to provide a sweeping overview, 12 chapters, by looking at five verses, okay? The first three in chapter 1, and then the last two in chapter 12. And what we're going to find is a gracious and exciting invitation extended to us to find daily fulfillment by aligning our lives with God's glorious design. That's what I want to invite you to today. Find meaning. In daily fulfillment by aligning your life with God's glorious design. Now, I realize many of you may be new to Christianity, new to the Bible. Some of you may even be skeptical. Is this stuff even real? What I want to do is this. I just want to ask you to consider the plausibility of what is shared today, and even kind of test these words against your own experience in life, in the past, today, and moving forward, and see if these matters do not ring true, okay? I want to do that in the form of two encouragements, okay? Number one, um, recognize life under the sun is pointless and yields no ultimate profit apart from God. How's that for encouragement this morning, okay? Recognize life is pointless and yields no ultimate purpose Under the sun. The first three verses, this is so good, right? By the way, if you just want to learn Ecclesiastes, the first three verses set the tone for the entire book. They introduce us to the main character and author of the book, his shocking assessment of life and what he is after in all of this. Okay, verses one through three of Ecclesiastes chapter one say this The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? You saw that the The words we are reading are going to be the words of the preacher. Some translations say teacher. He is literally one who assembles people to impart wisdom to them. It says that this this teacher is the uh, the king in Israel. He's a son of David. Now, some scholars believe this was actually Solomon writing these words. Others believe it is someone else that is writing through the perspective of Solomon and his life experiences to impart wisdom. But what we have is, is someone who had resources that you and I don't have. Okay? However great our lives are, okay, we can never match the experiences of the king of Israel, who was the, the son of Israel's greatest king. He had unlimited resources at his disposal. And so we need to hear that to understand that he is speaking with authority when he speaks about life. He had seen it all. And his shocking assessment of life is found in verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. This is his thesis statement of life. And he's using the most extreme words that he can find to convey how he sees life under the sun. It's all vain and and vanity here doesn't refer to like excessive pride you know we look in the mirror we're kind of checking ourselves out are we feeling good about it today you know we got our new you know gear on or whatever okay this is this is not the vanity that he's talking about he uses a hebrew word um hevel which literally would be translated mist or vapor Now, the wisdom of the preacher is is seen even in the choice of this word. Why? Because depending on the context, it can communicate a wide array of meaning. So vanity, we we could see, depending on where he uses it over 30 times in the book, can refer to that which is fleeting or ephemeral, futile or enigmatic, unreasonable, worthless, empty, pointless. Some translations, the NIV says, meaningless. One Hebrew scholar says that we could basically translate him saying, Absurdity of absurdities, everything is absolutely absurd. Remember, he's on a grand quest. He's trying to find the point of life. He's trying to find meaning and satisfaction in life. And as he sees it, as he experiences one experience after another, he basically says, look, life is an affront to reason. It does not make sense. There does not seem to be a point in all of this. And so what is he after? Verse 3 says he's after the payoff. Here we have the question that is driving his whole quest in life, he says this What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Basically, we could say it another way What profit is there? All of our busyness, all of our work, all of our striving, all of our pursuits, what profit is there for us? He's thirsty for the payoff. He wants to find that which will ultimately fulfill him and satisfy him. And we're all looking for the payoff, right? I mean, don't we, don't we want that which will profit, that which will bring some gain in our lives? Okay, we're not, we're not talking dollars and cents here. All right, we're, hopefully that's not that kind of end goal of our life. We're, we're kind of looking for the $50 million paycheck, probably what Johnny Depp will, you know, end up with after, you know, his black mask check is, is written at the end of the day. Anybody going to see that this week? Releases on Friday? No, thanks. All right, whatever. It's Boston, man. It's interesting, all right? Whitey Bulger, as he grew up over here. Um, but, 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 but we're not after that kind of payoff. Ho- hopefully that's not what's driving our quest We're looking for what is going to ultimately add value, consistent, lasting value to our lives. And we search for this in so many different ways, okay? Relationships, acceptance. Pleasure, possessions. Comfort, security. Prestige, accomplishments. Titles, degrees hanging on the wall. Nice little titles in front of our names. We, we feel like that is what is going to add value to our lives. But what we find is this. The preacher played that game and he lost every single time. He chased after all of these pursuits and he came up empty handed every single time. He says that his, the, scope, the scope of his search was life under the sun. It's, it's a really poetic way of saying life as we know it. Life in this fallen world as it exists before our eyes. He is chased after everything. And I don't have time. You may be glad. I don't have time to work through all 12 chapters this morning. So I'm like, yes, thank you very much. Let's get up and, you know, lunch. But, but if we just gave a sweeping look, we would find that he pursues wisdom, having all the right answers. In fact, Solomon, it was written, in his day, there was no one more wise than he. God gave him such wisdom. He he sought after pleasure, experiences, sexual experiences without limit. He experienced them all. Accomplishments, possessions. We can look and read. He has property, houses, vineyards, gardens, parks, treasure. He He has accumulated so many possessions. Then he'll talk about work which is a good word for us as, you know, Bostonians, ambitious people. You know, we don't come, you know, to Boston or we don't live in Boston just to kind of lay back and, and chill. We, we come here. We, we live here as part of who we are to thrive and to make it and to, to su- succeed. And so some of us try to find our identity in our jobs, which leads us to become workaholics where, where we're finding our identity and purpose in our work. And the preacher's going to say, hey, that doesn't work either. Leisure and entertainment, power and reputation, wealth and riches, family and a long life. He talks about all of these. Just go read Ecclesiastes this week. This guy, I like to think about it this way, okay? He, he could be a modern-day rapper. You, you know how rappers, you listen to, you know, Drake and Jay-Z and Lil Wayne, kind of what, whoever, and, and, or Lecrae, some of my, you know, brothers that really get this book, um, but, but, but they're going to talk about how, how much paper they got, you know what I'm saying, and how many women, and, and all the different experiences in life, okay, the, the experience of the preacher put them to shame, he's seen it all, and again, we, we have to understand, we, we are not much different than the preacher, or Jay-Z and Conway, a little wing. And why is that? Well, there's a proverb in the Bible, Proverbs 27, verse 20, that says this, death and destruction are never satisfied, okay? Like, just keep opening up the the daily news, and you're going to keep finding obituaries, okay? Because we all are going to die one day. Death and destruction are never satisfied. What else? Neither are the eyes of man. We always want more. We want more money, more fun, a better job, a, a greater family. And so if you're, if you're seeking ultimate satisfaction in any of those things, we need to hear that it is a vain pursuit. It is like, listen to this, chasing the wind, trying to grab the wind. Walk outside when you feel the breeze and just try to grab the wind and see if you can hold on to it. He says that is what it's like. Look at verse 14 of chapter 1, if you, if you have your Bible. It says this, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, a striving after the wind. That's what it's like to seek satisfaction in the things of this world. But, but what I want to do is I want to be careful here, okay? Because you can, you can kind of hear me, and you can think, well, man, this is kind of a, a killjoy church, all right? You know, like, like friends and family and job and, you know, money and, you know, food and experiences. Like, all that's off limits. Okay, this is exactly not what I'm saying, okay? But, but here's the deal. All of these things are created gifts, and every gift from God is good, what happens is we put our, as one of my friends used to say, our grubby little paws on God's gifts, and we twist them and pursue our own ends, which basically then becomes idolatry. So we take the good gifts that God gives us, we turn them into little gods that we think we're going to, 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 to find the, the ultimate things that we're looking for in those things. And so we, we, have, to, we have to have this in perspective. God wants us to find our, our ultimate satisfaction, our ultimate devotion and affection in him. He has made us to live for more than our eyes can see. And so this is what the preacher is going to sum up so beautifully at the end of his book. To understand Ecclesiastes, we have to turn to the end of the story. And so if you would do that, in chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, we find the conclusion of his search. And as renowned novelist and poet Jim Harrison uh, says, the, 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 the answer is always in the entire story, not just a part of it. Hey, think about that. The answer is, is always in the entire story, not just a part of it. So we get the, the entire story in the end of the book when he says this. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. The author ends, ends his book by exhorting us to find the point of life by fearing God and keeping his commandments. Simple as that. Find the point of life by fearing God and keeping his commandments. Earlier in the book, he's going to have this great statement in chapter 3 and verse 11 where he says that God has put eternity into man's heart. In other words, God sets eternity in our hearts. He sets a longing for more than what our eyes can see. We have longings deep down that that are meant to be discovered and fulfilled only in God. And so our quest for satisfaction reveals what we find early in the Bible. In fact, the very first page, page, I love that, Genesis chapter 1 says that we are made... Man and woman are made in the image of God. Now what this means is this. We are made to know God. We are made to live for God. We are made to enjoy God. We are made to point to how great God is with our lives. We are made for glory. We are made to behold that which is glorious. And what are we talking about with glory? Glory is is that which which has uh, infinite worth. We, we are made to see it, to taste it, to revel in who God is and his great design for our lives. And so it's up to us to, to listen to what he wants to say to us and then to connect the small story of our lives with the much greater story that he wants to write in us and through us. We are made to find this joy and fulfillment in the creator, not his creation. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. When we have desires that ultimately our work lives and our families and our friends and all of these different pursuits will not satisfy, then what that should be doing is pointing us up to the one who made us, not for those things primarily, but for himself. We were made for God. We were made for glory. We were made to taste and to see how great he is. And so it's almost like just a, just a simple analogy. We could probably come up with many that are better. But can you imagine a room full of, of PhDs in engineering, all right, some of you out there, and, and, and they're, just, they're just kind of content to play with Legos? You know what I'm saying? Hey, give me the big block over there, okay? It's got the ten connectors. All right, I need that. And I'm going to keep, you know, kind of, oh, I've got my castle going here. And it's like, is, th- is that happening? Man they're building skyscrapers, man. They're, they're, they're building cities. And for us not to see that we are made in God's image, that, that He has made us for something more than our eyes can see, and experience under the sun is to live a life like that, missing out on the potential of our capacity. Missing out on the potential of our capacity to enjoy God and to serve the common good of those around us. You see, that is what God wants us to connect our story to today. And you say, how do we see this in Ecclesiastes? Well, it's in in these final verses. He begins by saying, fear God. This gets at our perspective and our vision. When we fear God, we see God for who he is. When we fear God, we we understand that there is no one or nothing greater than him. So that means that he deserves our utmost respect and our utmost devotion and our utmost love. It does not mean that we are afraid of God. It means that we see how awesome he is and we have this sense of what, what some have called a reverential awe before him, that we are just in awe of God. That we want to live our lives for him because he is so great. And so hopefully some of you are asking the question, like Tanner, if, if this is going to be kind of step one, to see who God is and to fear him and to live my life for him, then how do I acquire great, uh, uh, the fear of God? And I believe the answer to that question is, is this. Acquire a greater fear of God by acquiring greater thoughts of God. God is far more glorious than we know. God is far more holy than we know. God is far more loving than we know. He is no sentimental God. He loves deeply and strongly. God is far more just than we know. As we see God for who he is. I love the song that we sang that we are only hearing, Job 26 says that we are only hearing the faintest whispers of how great God is. So as we begin to know God, and, and, and we, how do we know God? We know God because he's revealed himself to us in the, in the words of, of the Bible, but he has also revealed himself in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. So if you want to know what God is like and you want to acquire greater thoughts of God, just look to Christ and how he lived his life. Look to Christ and see what he did for us, hanging on a cross and rising from the grave when we get this vision of the fear of God, we begin to see that every human enjoyment and every human good is is only a mere taste of what God wants us to experience in him. So Jonathan Edwards put it like this. This is so good. 18th century scholar, lived about an hour from here. Some say the, the brightest theologian philosopher that America has ever known. He says this, the enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of earthly friends are but shadows, but God is the substance. These are but scattered beings, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the ocean. Do you, do you hear what Edwards is saying? There's nothing in our life. I love this. This is so comprehensive, which infuses life with meaning and purpose every single day, every single moment. There is nothing that we'll experience in life. A good book, a good meal, passionate love between a husband and a wife, all of these are but beams. God is the sun. So I don't know what your plans are this afternoon. I hope you'll go enjoy a nice meal uh, with with maybe some friends. Maybe some of you will enjoy a couple of football games. You know, the the Patriots took care of business Thursday night. Thank you very much. Um, And Maybe you're just going to go study. Uh, Whatever it is, whatever hints of enjoyment that we receive from, from those created goods, they are meant to point us up to the greater good, which is God himself. So comprehensive for us to to understand this. We should never be content with the beams when God offers the substance. So we are to fear God, have this vision of him, but then we are also to keep his commandments. The order is important. It's fear God and then keep his commandments. The one naturally flows from the other. And when we, when we see this, okay, what, what's happening here, this is we are so good at this as, as Christians, as moralists, as, moralist, as a kind of church people, all right? We're so good at reducing Jesus to a lawgiver that, that gives us a list of do's and don'ts. Hey, you can do this, you can do that. Why don't you do this? Oh, no, don't do that. And the Christian life just becomes a, a list of rules to follow. And I'm just saying, man, if, that, if that's Christianity, like I want to retire today. All right, I'll figure out something else to do. I don't know what it would be, all right? But, I mean, like, if that's it, then, then, then what is that? You see, to keep God's commandments is to reconnect with his original design in the very beginning that truly infuses every moment with meaning in life. It means loving God and loving those around us in a comprehensive fashion. This is what I love about Christianity. Every moment matters in the Christian life. Every moment is an opportunity to fulfill what God places before us. And do you see how understanding this has the potential to to truly like flip the entire script on our lives? Where now there is nothing mundane? I mean, you thought that that just next casual conversation, it just kind of just go through the motions, right? That next task at work, man, I just, I got to do that. And it's like, No. Every part of our lives matters because everything that we do is attached to this vision of Him and what He wants us to do in glorifying Him with our lives and how He wants us to serve others. And when we serve others, we are pointing people to a better kingdom that is to come, namely the one that God is going to establish forever. There is nothing monotonous about life. And, and, and I love this, guys. Listen, when, when we understand the point of life, when we see why we are here, now all of a sudden we can wake up and live each day with consistent anticipation. Are you feeling that? I mean, you need to, you need to write that down, you need to pray about it, okay? Because I'm telling you, some of us tomorrow, we're just we're we're gonna wake up and we're gonna wake up. No. When we connect our story with God's story, we wake up and we anticipate what is to come. We see that everything is infused with, with significance by God, what he places before us. And so now we are freed from, from boredom, boredom and monotony, and we now have joy and anticipation and expectation over what is going to come today. So, so, so now I'm thinking... By God's grace, when I'm thinking like this, I'm thinking, man, my life can actually impact someone else's life. My my actions, my words, they can actually brighten someone else's day. And oh, by the way, even my words and actions, they may even alter someone's eternity. Are we waking up like this, church? I mean, are are we seeing the point that God wants us to live out day by day? by day this is what we are after in everything this is why he goes on to say in verse 13 this is the whole duty of man this is the whole duty of man it does not get any stronger than this okay so this is a radical statement take it or leave it okay i hope you're going to take it today but 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 this is saying like this is not just a good idea it's not just kind of an option you know consider okay he's saying this is our entire lives this is our re- reason for being. This is our job. So I mentioned the Patriots, you know, on Thursday night. We, everybody knows you know mantra is do your job, right? And Brady did his job nicely, all right? He did it very nicely, record-setting performance, all right? But, 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 but Bilicek didn't make that up, all right? God made that up because God says, you have a job to do day in and day out to live your life for me. And and don't miss that phrase. This is the whole what? This is the whole duty of man. This is how we fulfill our humanity. So consider this: if we are made in God's image and we are made to live for God and to point to His greatness, then then, as we do that, we are actually showing the world what God is like. And, and as we walk in God's ways, He makes us more and more like Himself. And so, Irenaeus, this this uh, church. Uh, theologian in the second century says this. This is almost a heretical statement on the surface. He says this, the glory of God is man fully alive. The glory of God is man fully alive. And it's like like the glory of God like here that doesn't add up, that doesn't even make sense on the surface until we realize that we are made in his image and we are made to reflect him in all things. Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. This should be our primary motivation in life, but it is also backed up by another motivation that we see at the very end of the book where he says this in verse 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. You see, God sees it all. He sees what no one else can see. He sees what we sometimes don't even have the eyes to see. He sees down to the motivations of our hearts, way beyond our words and actions. And so we will give an account to God one day for the way that we've stewarded this life, how we've we've sought to to live with purpose, hopefully, and, and to live out this point. And I know that can kind of make us nervous. We think, like, man, to stand before God, if God is, and and God really is, you know, uh, perfect and holy and just, then, man, I'm kind of intimidated by the thought of that moment. And rightly, we should be until we remember what Christ has done. Jesus took the judgment that we deserved on the cross. Jesus took the the punishment and the sin, the the consequences of our sin. He took all of that on the cross and so he exchanges his goodness for our badness. Yeah, I said that, right? He exchanges his life for our death and he gives us the life that we didn't have until we looked to him and, and received his awesome gift. And so I hope that you will receive the gift that God wants to give you today, a a purposeful life, a fulfilling life, a satisfying life that comes from seeing who God is and seeing how every moment of our lives matters before him and that we can live Sunday through Sunday with purpose in all that we do. I love how the book of Ecclesiastes sounds so much like Jesus in the gospel. You say, well, Tanner, what are you you talking about? Well, you remember the question, what does man gain by all the toil with which he toils under the sun? Well, who does that sound like? It sounds like Jesus, right? When he's speaking to his disciples about what it means to follow him, and he says, if you want to follow me, you deny yourself and you take up your cross and, and you follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what? For what does it profit a man? if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his life. Jesus says you can gain it all in this life and ultimately have nothing. But to gain Christ and to follow him is actually to have it all, where then everything that we do has that kind of significance. And so if we were to take the theology of Ecclesiastes and put the words of Jesus over top of them, I think it would go something like this. Listen, I know you are searching for meaning and satisfaction in life. I know you've tried so many different pursuits but have come up empty-handed every time. Follow me. For whoever would seek to find ultimate meaning in the empty pursuits of this life, that person is going to be the one who loses it all. But whoever would lose his life by abandoning the pursuits of finding meaning in this life, apart from me, that person, they will save it. They will find it. For in finding me, you find it all. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the treasure hidden in the field. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the point of life. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you would, by your grace, infuse our lives with a clear vision of you, first and foremost, that we would see that we were made for so much more than what our eyes can see. And God, that we would connect our story to your story, that we would that we would take all of our our greatest aims in life and we would let them fall under the one great aim that you have designed for us, to know you, to love you, to live for you, to glorify you. And that God, as we do that, as we do that, we would not only bring great joy to your heart, but that we would would, uh, experience all of the things that come from the purpose that is found there. So, Father, I pray for my friends. God, I pray that, that people who come to Redemption Hill would, would sense that, would see that in us, and they would want to get in on that. Father, I pray for, for those of us who, who, who are following you with our lives, God, that we wouldn't wake up on Monday or Wednesday or Thursday or Saturday and, and just kind of go through the motions of life. What, what, what a shame that is when we do so. God, forgive us because you have made us for more. So Lord, would you take our lives and would you make them count? We want to look back and say that we gave it our all. So Lord, would you do the work that only you can do in us? God, you alone know our hearts. You alone can move our hearts to embrace your plan, to follow your ways, to live our lives for you. So God, that's our prayer, we pray.